started. Good morning, everyone. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been hosting a series of webinars during the pandemic to not only uh, entertain people, but to educate them about the horse and the horse's foot in particular. Um, it's been a really interesting process of learning, and um, it's just the guests have been amazing. And you can find all of the previous webinars on my YouTube channel, surefootequine.com. Today, my guest is Dr. Deb Taylor, and uh, I know of her through Ida Hammer. Um, Ida will be a guest of mine again later on this month. Um, and I'm going to allow Deb to introduce herself. We, I've been watching her in the background. We did a little test Zoom, and it looks like she's got a lot of show and tell stuff for us today. So I'm really excited about this webinar. And thank you so much, Dr. Teller, for being my guest on this webinar. Right, right. Thanks for inviting me. And I just want to apologize to people I've not made something. This is supposed to be real formal, as though more or less you were here at our hoof shop and we were talking about your own horse. I uh, don't have like formal presentation put together. So we're going to just use um, the things we use on a daily basis pretty much and try to oh, get into the can, can you give so, us a little bit of your background, like how you wound up becoming an equine podiatrist? <laughs> <laughs> um, that whole story is really on my Instagram page, uh, Smart USA. It talks about how I, you know, kind of came down this road. But um, basically, I grew up with a foundered pony. And I always wanted to be a farrier, um, but then that just seemed like something that in the time I came through, there weren't that many women farriers. And so I went to vet school instead. And um, then in vet school, I always wanted to be, I was interested in the foot, but it was kind of other people were covering that. And um, as I started my career at Auburn, other people were kind of covering the foot and I was an ambulatory clinician. And so I kind of just started looking at the fact that sometimes the horse would either get better or, or not get better. And it was in spite of me, not because of the things I was doing. So the horse, in other words, the horse I spent the most money on with traditional treatments would do the worst. And the horse where no money was spent might recover. So I admitted to myself that I was not making any difference. I was just observing a natural process that these horses were going through. And so then I started looking outside of academia to the private sector to try to learn as much as I could from farriers and other specialists in the private sector. And so in that place, I found that the main thing about any concept is to always learn it from the original person because when, when a lot of things get lost in translation, translation, like the whisper secret going around the room, it's completely different when it gets back around. So you can't really make a judgment about an application unless you're sure you learned it from the original, you know, person with the original idea. You're sure you applied it in the same way they applied it in the same type of situation. Da, da, da. And then you can decide if something works. Because it's really interesting to me the other, that I've come to that horses perceive things that seem completely different the same way either in a negative or positive way. So all these applications and stuff that we stick on their feet, um, two things might look completely different and the horses will perceive it the same, either good or bad. And so I, that's really intrigued me is why, what is it about some of these things that the horses are seeing the same? And so I think a lot of, maybe a little bit about what we're gonna get into today um, goes into that because um, I think one thing we have failed to recognize is that the foot that we're presented, which is usually pathologic, is um, essentially just lacks mass. It lacks mass everywhere. 
It lacks mass at the front. It lacks mass in the internal structures of the digital cushion. And so that lack of mass, that lack of the hoof projecting the earth, the, the, the appropriate distance, has then left the horse in this bad biomechanical situation due to the lack of mass. Okay. And so um, we were going to get into uh, today kind of some cool stuff we found really with your pads. And I don't really understand all the things you do with your pads yet. I haven't had time to really research what you do. But um, we're using them to try to kind of look at uh, how, where in space does this horse really want the bony column? Like what bony column alignment is this horse actually choosing for itself? And I've been intrigued for years about watching horses stand in pea gravel. Um, Pete Ramey taught me about using pea gravel. And as they stand in pea gravel, their, their hairline angle will change, especially these horses that are negative or any horse that has a, a broken back hoof pasture axis. Their, their hairline angle, the corner band angle, will drop down when they go into the gravel because they're dropping their toe into the gravel. And so that has been intriguing me for a while. And then having your pad gives me a chance to radiograph that. So uh, today, what we just wanted to do was look at a horse. Um, this is a, uh, I think it's about a five-year-old warm blood filly. Uh, and she's got massive, big, flat pan feet. I mean, and the images that I have here are, are actually after, um, I think, probably three applications, three hoof care cycles. So I've already built depth in the front of her foot on these images that I'm going to show you. But even though uh, I've already built, built some depth in the front of her foot, she's still uh, not satisfied with her palmar angle. Okay, and we, we determined that by looking at, at the pads. So I guess what we could do, and, and we'll go ahead into her first images here. Um, we'll turn the computer around. I don't know if it's going to be so Dr. Taylor and I worked out a way that she can turn a computer so we can look at the x-rays, the yeah, radiographs, I mean, uh, by just using the camera on her computer. There we go. Are we there? Can we yep. see and it? I'm going to spotlight you so that's nice and big for everybody. Is it really bright white where you can't see bone? Or she took uh, We can see bone. If you okay. look at your screen, you'll see what we're seeing. Okay, I just didn't know whether it was a glare making you not be able to see. Nope, um, no glare. It's perfect. Okay, okay. so this is the mare uh, on April 22nd. Okay, here she is on April 22nd. And we actually have sufficient sole depth at the front of the foot at this point that most horses would be sole depth and concavity, a little bit of concavity. So that when this number is 20 millimeters, this blue line right here, this says it's 20 millimeters. I know y'all can't see that. But in general, most horses are about ready to be barefoot when they have 20 millimeters of depth at the front of the foot. Now, that's not going to all be sole. It'll be partial concavity and partially sole. Now, this sole has actually been built through our last couple of applications that we've done. But the problem is this horse's palmar angle is still zero. Okay. So her, her bone is parallel to this ground plane represented by this bright line here. All right, and if you watch her stand, she's got a rather vertical uh, fetlock. So she has a broken back hoof pastern axis. And so what we've started looking at is a, um, a concept, and actually a fellow named Pete Healy kind of first made me think about this. He's a really 
um, fun farrier. He thinks about things in a physical kind of way. But we're looking here at the depth of the COR. This is the center of rotation of the coffin joint. And this, this x-ray, I apologize, is a little bit twisted. The condyles there of P2 are superimposed, a little bit funny. But in any regard, your, your center of rotation of your coffin joint is here. Can you just and do that with your pointer just again? Oh, yeah, yeah, I see it. The center of rotation of the coffin joint is here. Yep. Okay, and what we're interested in here is how far is that COR from the ground plane? Okay, so this is the length of this line, all right? Yep. And what I'm equating this to is the length of the center spoke of a wheel, okay? Um, or like a bicycle tire, okay? And so here's your center spoke, all right? Yep. Now, what I'm saying, my concept, my theory here is, is that most of these horses um, that have a zero palmar angle and that are just marginally far from the ground at the front, then those horses, this was going to be too short. And so part of the reason this came up to me was uh, a, a farrier that I work with here, who I really respect, he was worried about an application that I was doing because it was making the toe longer. Um, but the point was, it was also making this line longer. And it was doing it in a proportional manner where we were adding more to the center spoke than we were to the toe length. Okay, and so why, this is the center spoke. And now let's think about this thing being a wheel. So this line right here is 6.5 millimeters long. So if we draw another one, 6.5 millimeters long, that doesn't even get us to the tip of P3. Wow. Okay, now, now you think about this thing trying to roll downhill and essentially all of this material out here has turned into this. This is for my trailer here that I'm sitting yeah. in. <laughs> okay, so now we got this sitting out here. So we've chalked off this horse to prevent him from moving forward. Right. Okay, because of his natural structure that's missing. All right, so, so what does that do to tendons and ligaments in the back half of the foot? And then it also puts more leverage here. The, the, I feel like the shorter this is, and I'm not a physicist, but I've got one watching that's gonna help me. But <laughs> the shorter this is, then the more detrimental the toe length is, because it's a ratio of COR depth to the ground to the toe length that's adding more and more torque and leverage to this toe wall. Now, my friend, uh, well, Dr. Bowker has described ligaments inside the digital cushion, and my friend, Dr. Johanna Reimer, has recently done a great job on AFA's website of describing um, this internal anatomy within the digital cushion. And what she has described there is that the more leverage you have here, the more you tug on the internal ligaments, oops, and that pulls the heel forward and under. So, Toe leverage here is not bad only because it puts increased stress and strain on the on the, the you know the impar ligament, the deep flexor tendon. It's not only bad because of that, but it's also pulling the heels under. Okay, so as far as trying to get these horses to rehabilitate, what do we need them to do? We need them to project material distally toward the ground to a depth that is appropriate for the, just the size of their foot. The length, so that this, this is more like a wheel. Can you see the blue line? Yep. Moving. 
Okay, and so then you come to yourself and you say, oh, maybe that's why people put rocker shoes on horses because that would elevate them and it would also give them that wheel rolling forward. Okay, and so there's all these different facets of the hoof, hoof care community and some have found that the rocker shoes are actually um, helpful for, for what we're talking about here. We're lifting and we're also giving that forward roll. Now, then others would say, well, that's too unstable or whatever. And so there's all these arguments different ways about that. But um, people wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't helping horses. So you got to always remember that. You got to remember that every hoof care practitioner has got a different set of experiences and a different skill set. And they're all there to try to make the horse better um, in the best way they know how. And, and they can only do correctly the things that they have focused on and studied on. And so you can't be trying to get everybody to do the same thing. Um, and, and that's good because every horse is not gonna respond to the same thing anyway. Anyway, that's another topic. But so what we did with this horse to see, well, you know, and, and so what I'm saying is if I take this horse and turn him barefoot right now, or her, she's gonna be what we call a barefoot non-responder because she has so much leverage out here that she's not gonna be able to move correctly enough to allow the foot to stop moving, being pulled forward just on her plain barefoot. So when we look at what, is she, what does she want, we put her on your pad. Can you see that? Yep, so this was the physio pad, right? The one that's the orange top and gray bottom? Yeah, uh, and I've got this done a little bit wrong. Here, let me slide this down. Okay, now, right here, she's on a deformable pad that uh, Wendy gave me. Can y'all see this? Is this a good angle of the computers? Yep. Oh, that's better. Okay, so essentially, here's your ground plane on this left image, and here's your ground plane on this image. And so look what she does. She dumps herself six degrees down into the pad, which essentially, you know, I'm thinking about this as the ground plane. So in order to get her bony column to the comfortable point, and look at the, what it does to the back of the navicular bone. Right. Look at the angle of the navicular bone here versus here. So the steeper this angle is, the, the less tension we're gonna have on the deep. Okay, the more we have a elevated palmar angle, the less tension we have on the deep flexor. That's been proven, um, that it's rubbing and stretching against the back of the navicular bone. So then I go again. So there's all these people in the world that don't want to wedge one. But, but this horse, I don't know what you want to call this, but she wants to bury her toe into, through the ground plane. You know, and so in order for her to begin to move comfortably and for her navicular area to heal, her tendons and ligaments to heal, um, She's not going to heal if we turn her out in, in flat boots like this, okay? So we need to figure out some way um, to stop that toe leverage. What did um, that do to the spoke, the center spoke of the wheel? Okay, that's what I want to show you. Okay, so that's the center spoke. So now we've got to kind of say she's trying to kind of get her ground plane to be here. Yep. Under the toe. So you see what I say? So yep. she just moved the ground plane to eight, and this is 6.6. .6. So she just moved her ground plane 14 millimeters away from the COR. Wow. So she lengthened, so she lengthened her spoke. Okay, so that's 7.8. And so then, then when that goes forward, 
that'll come really much closer to the tip of the bone. Okay. Wow. So the other point of all this is um, from what I have done and from what Johanna has done and what a lot of people in the barefoot industry have done, um, looking at wild horses and stuff, they've looked at, you know, of course, there's all these trims that are based on the Mustang roll and all that. Um, I fir firmly believe at this point that the horse needs to be able to wear out the toe of the application. So she needs to be able to wear this toe off. She needs to be at an angle similar to this, is what my hypothesis is, and then put set into motion with the ability to keep wearing this away because this is proportionally too long in relation to her center spoke. So that's the reason that um, I like, right now I'm really working with Forma Hoof because horses can wear the front of it out. Oh, interesting. That. See, so she was still sitting in this and trotting around in this, but the whole front's gone. And so that's telling me that I did what Johanna, my friend Johanna Reimer says, you got to give the deep flexor its, tenet, its um, toe back. Um, and you can't allow it to keep migrating forward through the shoeing cycle. So I personally think that these horses appreciate barefoot. They appreciate um, what Dr. Johanna Reimer's doing with nothing at the toe or, or being in, in the form of hoof is also another option. Now, all of these things will have a, you know, a, what do you call a trade-off. Anything you do therapeutically is always going to have a trade-off. And so you got to decide at what point and what stage, which, which trade-off is what you want. Here's another one that's worn a toe off. Okay. So that's, um, kind of what we're doing um so now if we take this same foot this is the left um you put the little green thing right here for a second so that they can't see the name of it oh i get the other image up no i gotta be able to see where do you want sarah there okay hang on um we have places that aren't closed yet and certain owners that haven't signed a paper to release their x-rays yet for public view so has agreed, but I still don't want everybody seeing the horses. Yeah, just move your page over a little bit because we can see the corner. There you oh, go. Perfect. Able to see too. <laughs> That's not the horse's name. The horse's name is hidden. Hang on, I gotta get rid of it and then I'll be ready. <laughs> okay, there we go. So, wait a minute, is this the right date? Yeah. Okay. Um. Hold that right there. Um. All right, so when we put the horse in, in the form of hoof, in this case, we decided to use form of hoof for this horse to try to get it moving. And what was cool is with the form of hoof on there, we have projected the foot to where the horse wants to be. So here's the top of the pad. Sorry, I'll just hold it right here. Here's the top of the pad. Um, now, the form of hoof does have the horse at seven and a half degrees instead of six. But remember, he started at one. So, you know, that's just a percentage off there that, you know, we can rasp the heel of this thing and lower it if we want it to be exact. So, so just to be clear, our left-hand picture is now the horse on a flat surface with the form of hoof on, and the right-hand mm -hmm. picture is still the picture of what the horse did when he was on the pad on, on the x-ray. Correct. Okay. And so now if we try to draw, oh, 
sorry, I'm trying to make them about the same size. And then I get the ground plane the same. So here's your ground plane here. Of course, rotate it through the ground plane. Um, well, I guess I just got to do the tip at the same place, right? Yep. This is the new ground plane. That's what it is. So here's the, the real actual ground plane in relation to the bare foot. This is what the horse is trying to project the ground plane to. So here we've we filled in this whole area around the foot with formahoof and then put him back on the hard surface. Okay. Yep. So now the cool thing is this horse can wear this off. And what's, what's interesting is, is, well, it makes sense to me that you got to think about the horse is, this horse is shallow in the back half of the foot is what it's telling us in this pad. This lacks mass in the back of the foot. Okay. It has a lot of mass in the front, a lot of length and, and mass. So what's it gonna do when you put it in the airspace of the form of hoof? It's gonna sink to the toe area. So it's gonna be a very thin application at the front. Okay, it's gonna get thicker as you go to the back. Now, you've actually wedged this horse, which is what people have been doing for years to these horses. And often most practitioners note that when you wedge a horse with uh, devices that are glued or nailed to the foot, um, that'll have a tendency to crush the heels under. And so that's why in the barefoot movement, wedge is more like a four letter word than it is a five letter word in, in the barefoot community. And no wedging is allowed in the barefoot community hardly. In fact, if they build a pad that looks like a wedge to me, they call it an incline plane. <laughs> so, because that word is a dirty word. And it's a dirty word because of what it's done to the hoof capsule traditionally. But what we're finding is um, by using the form of hoof and allowing it to come all the way up around the bulbs, now the bulbs are uh, supported. And the other point is, is that the toe can wear out. So you gotta have both. You gotta, you gotta have some sort of bulb support that lengthens the support structure of the back of the foot. And you've gotta also let the toe wear out. So that would be what would be similar between forma hoofed and a, an application called rost, is that both would support the heel all the way to the heel buttress, and that actually lengthen, lengthens. Um, let me show you this. Oops, so not a parameter that we didn't look at yet. Just tilt okay. your screen a little because we're seeing your computer screen at the top of the uh, the radiograph. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so we've gone to nine, 8.9 here. She was at 7.8. So we went a little overzealous here on our height. But you okay. said it can easily be adjusted. It can be, or you can let the horse wear it off, you know, cause that's, you're going to let this, let the horse wear this thing off. So now another big parameter that has always been preached to farriers is the length of the support of the foot in front of the COR right here versus behind the COR. So how much support length you have in front. See here we have 10 centimeters. Here, it's not gonna quite, we gotta do it on the flat foot. Let's do go back to the flat foot. All right, here, um, this is the same flat foot on the same day. And it's nine, see it's right at 10. 
And what's the one on the left again? 10.4. Okay. 10.3. So really no significant difference in the front half. Okay. Yep. Now when we look at the back half, here, this would be your length of support would be about to there, 5.3. And then over here, 6.0. Okay, so you think, well, you haven't improved anything, but wait. You haven't improved anything on the ground surface, but by the way this comes up and just completely supports the heels, I believe that the horse perceives this distance to go all the way to the heel with the form of a fawn. Mm -hmm. And people will say, well, I can do that with rubber putty and all these impression things. But to me, I'm not seeing that the horse perceives that as natural as it does this one piece thing, um, the one piece shell around the foot that also supports the heel base. So the other application that I've seen that'll do that is oddly, and that's what I was saying, you know, the raw shoe. The raw shoe actually puts glue under the heels right here, which you could never get away with if there was a front, a toe in the shoe. So if you've got a tug of war going on between the heels and the toe because the toe can't wear, then the hoof capsule is always going to lose. But if you, you can, apparently, what we're learning, you can apparently support the back of the heel bulbs if the horse can wear out the toe. So, uh, and then over time, you want those heel tubules to stand up, not get further crushed under. Right. Okay. And so that's kind of kind of the way that thing goes. But so how um, did the horse respond once you did the the picture on the left? Oh, she's very comfortable in them. Uh, she she had some injuries that had been diagnosed at the university. Um, I think she'd had an MRI as well. I don't remember the exact injury, but it was in the navicular apparatus. Um, she's just getting sounder and sounder wearing this. Okay, but so the next step is to just see how much natural foot, how much of this depth can this horse grow on her own if we continue, you know, if we continue moving forward. And what applications will we have to do to continue to enhance that? Um, you know, she's got to be able to move comfortably uh, and it, it, without something fixed here that's tugging the toe forward every time she lands is, is my, you know, key thing that we're trying to do. Um, and the comfortable movement, I feel like, comes from the angle that she created showing us what she was looking for in, in the pad here. See? In yeah. the pad, she, she showed us. And it's a lot. You know, it's a six, six degree change. So if you, okay, it's a six degree change. So, you know, it's like, wow, um, that's a lot to do. So but, if, if I could just say, so, so by using the surefoot pad, you saw how this horse wanted to have her foot position and then you use the formal hoof to set her up basically in that position and the result is that this horse is more comfortable and improving and correct and is what the horse does right i mean that's always the we can have all the theories in the world right right correct correct the i just don't know whether i'm going to be able to rehabilitate this weak back half of this foot to the point that she'll ever be able to to maintain an, an angle like she's looking for barefoot and, and okay and destiny and i got into a topic about that 
one reason is, you know, they talk about when you were in inferior school, what did they teach you about dorsal hook wall height uh, angle? It's supposed to be 50, mm -hmm. right around 50, 51, 52. And on the breed, you know, we looked at the pastern angle, but we always come back to an average of 50 to 55. Okay, so a 50 to 55 dorsal hoof wall angle that's taught inferior schools actually does support a straight hoof pastern axis. Okay, and, and when you start looking at bone angles, my friend Pete Healy brought this to my attention, that some horses, their bone angle is low enough. If we look at this horse's bone angle. Oops, sorry, it's making a bunch of different lines because I've got all this stuff in the way. Her bone angle is uh, 41 degrees-ish. Okay, so if her bone angle is 41 or 42 degrees, then to get to 55, no yeah, yeah but I mean, so I don't, this horse has had a long sloping pasture, so I don't think she's ever going to want to be 50, but I don't think she wants to run around the rest of, she obviously has been running around with a 42 degree dorsal hoof wall angle and went lame doing that. So um, we got to come up with some kind of a, so she's at this 42 degree bone angle, then she adds her six degrees in the, in the, this pad, and that should put her 42 plus six should put her somewhere around 48. So we'll draw that out. 51, actually, that's a show her at 51 right there. Wow. And and how many cycles has she been in the form of hoof in the in the 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 idea? The picture on the left, I think she was coming out of her second or third set. Um, this last time. She actually finally began to make a little bit of uh, palmar angle change on her own, just slightly. Okay, we ended up this. I think this form of hoof fell off, but prematurely. This one fell off prematurely, and she wore a little bit of that sole callus off right here, so she's a little bit lower here but she's starting to build a little bit of palmar angle in her natural foot here, just slightly. And so, you know, what to expect when you're expecting a new foot. I said I was gonna write that book someday, but um, it depends on how bad you, where you started, first of all. And it depends on what application you're using. Um, so this is plus one. And she had been, give her some of these lines. She had been slightly negative, see? We had been battling this negative angle. She had been negative, negative three-ish, and she's gone to plus one. And that was April 22nd to June 2nd. But this was after multiple applications. And so the first thing that I see when a for horse does go into form a hoof, is the first thing is they fill in this depth of the front half of the foot under P3, mm -hmm. under the front half, and then later they begin to build mass in the back. Um, so it's kind of a stepwise fashion. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that this is the only way to do it, but it, I've been struggling to find ways to do it, and this is something we're watching and Well, and, and you're dealing with genetics and confirmation and all those things, too, when you're dealing with a horse like this, and um, how much, like you say, how much mass can you 
get her to build up so that she could go barefoot is going to have a lot of factors involved. But the fact that there's that much change in that short of time is promising, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh-huh. And we may end up switching her to another system. I mean, at some point we want to get her barefoot if we can, or she may go rotating in and out of applications and barefoot. But I'm just saying that any application I ever put her in, I'm never going to put something out here on her in the next three or four years. I wouldn't, if, if I stay in charge of her, anything out here that she can't wear off at the toe. Right. So formal hoof, just to be clear, people are wondering about uh, formal hoof, and that's something that has to be applied by someone who's trained in formal hoof, correct? Um, I think that's the best way to do it, yep, um, because it's got a lot to do with the trim and the placement of the model. And I don't know whether we can show, do you have an image you can show maybe uh, the mare we did Friday afternoon and how the bulbs, the blue one we put on? We offer training programs here to, to train people to do it. And that's what's been working to me the best. Um, we trained a group of trimmers from Illinois and Texas, and they've just gone great guns with it and, and having good success with it. Um, it's got a learning curve. There's a lot of little idiosyncrasies of putting it on that make it um, better to go get trained. Right. At least do online training. And as you said, the bottom line is that you have to start with a good trim. So, you gotta start with a good trim, yeah. And and so and then it, for instance, if I take this mare right here, and I put the mold too far forward on her, see that's her heel tubules. If I allow the mold to slide down her foot because I'm afraid of it being too close to the hairline, and y'all see this where my pointer is now. If I were to allow the mold to slip down, because because I look, 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 for instance, I look at this horse and I think, oh gosh, I need to build Palmar angle. So let me go over here and shove the mold against her toe and pull it down her heel so that I'll build angle. That's what people have a tendency to do, but you shouldn't do that. Because if you just hold the mold at the hairline, you're going to get the Palmar angle. That's what we did to get the Palmar angle, that this Palmar angle change came from just holding the mold at the hairline here. Okay, right. and then... And then because of the anatomy of the foot, because of the way it sinks into your pad, it's going to sink into the airspace to the mold the same. So you're going to build that same angle without even thinking about it. If you hold the mold, the top back edge, this back edge of the mold has yep. got to be held at the hairline. And then your foot is sinking into this airspace like the pad is the airspace. Spill my coffee. Uh -oh. um, Hopefully not on anything important. No, I didn't spill it. I said I almost spilled it. Um, let me use your pad this time. So you think about this mold like being like the airspace. That's kind of a cool way to look at it. Yeah. You know, your your pad and this mold, this is like the horse taking your pad with him. Right. Uh, Angle-wise. Of course, not as soft, but right. angle-wise. Uh, email this video to Wendy. Oh, yeah, we're going to email you a video real quick. Wendy, I don't know whether you can put it up or not. We'll see. We'll give it a shot. Um, so uh -oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to demonstrate uh, which email is the best. Is there an iCloud? Sending it to your, all that. Okay. So, so essentially, did you happen to put the horse back on the physio pad after you put the forma hoof on the hoof? No, I should have. But what I wanted to do, and I haven't had time to do it, we could do it here together if you want, 
is I wanted to try to see uh, between the April application, this one, and the June application, could we appreciate that the, the mold was doing less and the horse had done more? Okay, that's what I was trying to figure out. And I don't know, I haven't figured it out. So both applications, the horse is at 7.2. Oh, I gotta make this bigger. Degrees, Palmer angle. What I wanted to see was, could I appreciate within the mold that uh, the mold provided less of the support? But I'm not sure I can calculate that here. It's hard to do. Right up in here, this white yep. is copper sulfate in the horse's collateral grooves. This is all copper sulfate and impression material within the collateral grooves. Can you see this? Oh, yeah, and yeah. Okay. That impression material, and that'll have copper sulfate on the top of it. So we're not really seeing the airspace of the collateral groove. That's, this is the concavity. I'm tracing it here on this right one. Okay, and then here, I'm tracing it here on this one. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so it's a little bit hard to see. I guess I can make some lines here. I hadn't really thought about how to measure this. I'm sure I can figure it out. I should be able to. I mean, it looks like this wedge here is the same or bigger now, but it's 7.2. So we know it's got an extra about three degrees over here. So you know, it's got to be that the mold is doing less on this side because we're, we're back to the same set home Palmar angle, 7.2 and 7.5. Mm -hmm. um, and we know we got more back of the foot this time. I don't know how to measure that. I got to think about that a minute. It's okay. Accurately. I'll have to think about that and get back with you on that because I don't think I know how to do that right this second. I got a little bit thicker polymer here to the toe. On that one, mm -hmm. which would also make sense because the horse is less disproportionately deep now in the front of the foot. See, the more they are in, the more they lack proportion of depth to front to back, the deeper, you know, when they've got this excess depth in the front of the foot compared to the back, then they're going to pour thinner and thinner out here. Right. Because that's what they do. Because this is trying to mimic a hoof capsule. Right. So, so I guess many, kind of... How many horses have you used the Surefoot pad to see what the horse wants and then adjust where you were going to that, what you saw? I haven't had a chance to use it on that many, honestly. Um, been three or four of them. We haven't documented all of them, but we yeah like to just see what the variance is. Right, right. What I'd like to find is a horse that's that's uh, that has been left with a high heel clubby mm -hmm. that do doesn't want to be clubby, but people think it does. And I'd like to see that foot sink into that sure foot pad in the heel region. And that would really sell me on on this whole concept if I could see a horse sink back the other way. Um, but it would be, I should put them on the pad with this on and see if they'll go parallel, ground parallel. Right. Right. That's what I was wondering. I need to do that. <laughs> you kind of get busy in the day, you know, when you're just trying to get through the cases, eventually you get where you can't just keep you listening all day. You have to get through the day. Yeah, no, I, I know it's like, 
Uh, it's why I only ever seem to have pictures of when I have horses on multiple pads because I can finally stand back and take pictures. And unless you have somebody following you around all the time. So. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Right, so I just, we're trying to figure out how to get them all filed uh, and, and everything. Did you see that video, the center of that video? I sent it to her in multiple different avenues, so I'm not sure I, if she's I got a that. photograph. Let me see if I got the video. And then you had some other show and tell stuff that you were going to, that I saw you set up. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, we're going to show you over here on the back side um, this whole concept of the center spoke. Um, yeah. the center spoke of the wheel. So another way to look at it, you know, we, we had this in the, in the computer screen a minute ago. Um, this is how we keep our trailers from rolling downhill, right? Right. Okay. And so we're saying that that length of, you know, P3 would be out in here. This has got the wrong angle on. I need to chop this off. Then it would be about right. Look, this. And yeah, it would. that off, it would be like a dorsal hook wall. It would. We need to get somebody to cut that off for us. But anyway, if you take your, um, the wheel, your center spoke here, and so there's going to be a certain distance. This distance has to be proportional to the toe length. And that's why adding toe length with, Form a hoof is not such a bad thing because you're also lifting the foot. And if you do get a little extra out there, you're allowing the horse to wear it off. Okay, so this thing, you know, can't roll right now. And then because this is in the way, you know, it's, it's basically being chopped off. And so it's kind of like thinking about a flat tire. Like here's your flat tire horse where the center of rotation of the coffin joint has just been dropped too far to the ground. Right. So you got to inflate it and then let it roll. Right. Okay. So was, like I, I got this video. Let me just see if I can the get concept. it. Uh, save all. I'll just put it on my desktop. All right, I should be able to put up this video. Let me just get it set up here. Yep, okay. So now I'm gonna do a screen share. There we go. Are you seeing your, your foot? That's pretty cool. Yep, and I'm gonna play this oh. video. they drop off the sound. So when people come here and train in the form of, uh oh, there it goes. We are very, very, um, I don't know whether I can, you got control. We're very specific to try to get the top of the mold to come all the way to the hairline here at the back. I don't know if you can see my arrow on the screen. Yeah, no, but you can tell me where to put my arrow right now. I've right along the top of the blue, the, yeah, right there. So we're, we're wanting the top of the mold to come right to the hairline. And so that's one of the things we train people to do. Um, but we do see that some people, it's, it's really hard to make that happen every time. So there's certain ways you have to hold the foot. Sometimes you have to let the horse stand in the mold uh, while you're pouring it. Uh, go back to that side view and freeze it where we're seeing it from the side. Turn, turn, turn. There. Right there. Right there. Okay. So if you look at the heel 
kind of run your arrow along the back of the heel. I don't know whether I can use my pointer or not. No, it's on my screen. So just yeah, right there. So this is this is where we're talking about that this hair, we should have taken a picture of this. This hairline is on the ground. Uh, before oh, we have on the before video, this is a negative plantar angle horse. Um back foot. It's actually the sound leg on a horse that has a stifle problem and has become clubby on her left hind which we could put that one on the Murdoch block. But she, her left hind is basically like a cane. She can't really use it correctly because she's got such stifle arthritis. And so we're using this to try to balance and, and protect this palmar angle in this foot and the tendons on this side. Um, balancing her hips um, by getting her heel bulbs balanced on each side without destroying this hip capsule. Um, because, well, you know, if you tried to wedge it with something else, you'd probably destroy that hoof capsule has been my experience. Yeah, and then if we let the mold come down underneath the heel bulbs much and underneath that hairline, that's when we're asking the heels to run forward and that's right. the mold placement. So if you look at the way this mold is domed right here, it's got this little bulb in it right there. You see that little bulb shape? Uh, direct my pointer. How do I do that? Uh, just tell me where to go. Hairline, go to the hairline and then run down the back of the mold. Now go to the back, now run down under, follow the mold down, 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 down right there. Okay. Right there. So that is a place in the mold that's designed to, to, you know, be under the bulbs. But if you let that pull down toward the ground plane, then it'll pull, it'll pour a big hunk of polymer under the heel bulbs. And if you've left the bulbs trimmed so that the heel tubules are run under and then also misposition the heel of the mold, then you could cause a problem with the heels um, with this system. But that's, you know, that's poor application. That's not the system. Right. And so in my little video on my Hoof Smart USA thing, I go over that about how, um, like as veterinarians, we're taught to use drugs. We're taught to use certain drugs. And we're also taught that certain drugs have side effects and that they can kill a horse if you give them incorrectly. And so one of my big examples is genomycin. Genomycin is one of the most widely used antibiotics in equine medicine. It's a very, very good antibiotic for gram-negative pathogens. And, but it also can destroy the kidneys. And so back 20 years ago, 30 years ago, people did research to try to understand why is that? And originally they thought if you give a big dose that's what's destroying the kidneys. So we got to give these little bitty doses multiple times a day, and then the kidneys will be fine. But they found out that that wasn't the problem. The problem was is that there was a baseline and that you had to go below this min minimum. You had to go the, the, the trough in the, in the curve is what protected the kidneys. And when you gave these little doses, you were oscillating above the trough, above the baseline, above a certain you know, amount. Yep. And so if you never got below that, then you're just frying the kidneys all day long and never giving them a break. So then they found out that, oh, wait, it's better to give one big dose a day and then let the trough be created at the end of the day. And that's going to save the kidneys. Now we can use that drug without destroying the kidneys. Okay. So back when it was destroying the kidneys, people didn't decide, oh, genomycin is a terrible drug. They just decided how to use it correctly. You see what I mean? And so that's what happens with so many hoof, hoof applications, all of them, all of them. Somebody with, miss, with lack of information, um, with lack of skill to be, have been trained, uh, with a lack of understanding of the pathology in front of them, 
will apply somebody's method to some foot somewhere and it'll fail. It'll fail every time if you put it in the wrong situation or don't do it correctly. But they use it in a certain situation and it fails. And then the first thing you want to do is blame the application to yourself. Um, but most times it's yourself or you might be dealing with a horse that can't be helped. Um, you might be able to put him in everybody's application and he's still going to crash and burn, you know? There's so many um, pathologies out there and there's so many horses with these weak digital cushions that it's very difficult to just assume that, that they're all going to respond the same. And so and there's, there's really what we'd like to do is not to get to the point where we have to do stuff like this. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? So if yeah. you, what, what would you recommend to people that are watching in terms of what can they do so that they don't wind up with a horse in this situation where we have to try all these different appliances to try and save them because, because it's been years of damage, basically? Well, I mean, I guess the first thing would be to try to establish as a foal a lot of motion, a lot of movement, um, trying to keep foals trimmed, keep them moving, don't stall them. Stalls are the biggest evil, probably, to the foot. Um, stalls and applications that lock the toe in, you know, those are, to me, the two biggest things that's, that change what a foot is going to do naturally. Um, so when we, when we prevent that toe from being able to wear on its own over the course of a cycle, we're, we're locking that foot into sliding forward, basically. Moving forward, yeah, moving forward and, and tugging on the ligaments that Valker and Johanna Reimer have described. It's just tug, 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 tug. And then that's just pulling everything in and under. The heel comes in and under. The heel's gonna follow the toe. You're never gonna get the heel to lift and open until you stop tugging, tugging, tugging on the toe. It's been my experience. Right. And so, so we come back to the idea that uh, a good a good exercise program and a good trim given given that there's a lot of other factors nutrition metabolic problems etc cetera, etc cetera, use training but those are kind of the basics that we really need to consider to at least give the foot a fighting chance to support this horse right right you got to let the foot fully develop like i mean to me i'm going to raise foals that are turned out that we're going to trim, you know, trim their toes to keep their toes. If, 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 their, if their terrain's not rough enough to wear their little feet, you know, in, in the symmetry with where the bone would project the foot to, um, then we're going to trim them and continue to, to keep their foot trimmed appropriately. And then we're going to minimize their stall confinement as much as possible. Um, and that's going to be good not only for their foot, but it's going to be good for their bone density. Because if right. they're just standing in a stall, they're going to lose bone density. You know, and then we think we're going to just take them out and make a weekend warrior out of them. And that, you know, that's not the deal. Um, my friend, Declan Cronin, we I observed how he rehabs the thoroughbred racehorse foot barefoot. And if you ask Declan, well, how many miles a day does a horse need to put in on a barefoot to expect that foot to change and to get healthier? And he'll tell you six, six miles a day is minimum. Wow. Okay. And I'll say, well, what if my clients can't do six miles? And he'll say, well, they shouldn't own a horse because that's how he's, you know, you, you, you shouldn't expect him to be of optimal health unless you can do the things that are going to make him optimal health, in other words. So you, then you got to work around your management. 
I think that's what so many owners do. We've, we've focused on, oh, we got to keep these horses in stalls because they're valuable. Oh, because they need a fan, all these things. But um, all those things, you know, don't make them rugged. Um, you know, people that sit on the couch all the time are not rugged athletes. Um, so we got to remember that. And, the, you know, the more we can find the horse, the so less rugged it's going to be. Pasture where they're actually not going to just stick their head down and eat their fill within a, you know, a postage stamp. Right. Yeah. And so there's been a lot of, uh, I guess there's been some research and there's the uh, pasture paradise, those types of situations. Um, there's a lot of clever ways you can get them to move around. Um, I think these European exercisers are the most amazing thing if people could afford those. Um, and put gravel in them and let them just do miles and miles a day in those urosizers. Right. Um, that would be phenomenal. Um, I was at a place the other day and I saw one that was out of use and broke down. I was taking pictures of it thinking, I need this, I want this. But um, yeah, so, and, and, you know, and then the problem is, is just realizing, seeing the pathologies that's coming on. You know, seeing the heels migrating forward, seeing the contraction of the back of the foot of the central sulcus. Um, I guess that's another big thing people can do is just don't let a horse get central sulcus thrush. If you see a contracted central sulcus, then you need to be putting an antibacterial, antifungal cream or ointment or something in there to kill the bacteria and fungus living in the central sulcus. That's step number one to getting a healthy palmar foot is to open up the central sulcus. And then again, I guess, you know, to me, step number two is to deal with this toe length, toe length to COR ratio um, that we've talked about here. Is there any way to, to uh, from the, from without an x-ray to measure the COR? Yeah, I mean, we should be able to do that um, just by, you know, finding it on, on, you know, well, actually you can, you can measure where the navicular bone is. Um, there's a, there's a ways you could measure where the COR would be. Um, I don't know that anybody's ever really talked about that, but yes, that could be done without an x-ray. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, looking at the height of the hairline off the ground. Right. Um, right. Because if we turn this back around, um, and then looking at taking a hoof gauge and looking at your, uh, so her hairline, you know, is going to be projecting along this around here. Shoot, what am I doing? It's like there. Kind of like that is her hairline. Right. You know, so it's right about, you know, if you look at the front to back of the foot halfway, this is how we find the navicular bone when we're trying to do a navicular bursa become a centimeter down so you can kind of you know judge it by this shape i'm sure somebody's got some parameters somewhere yeah um, i'm just trying to think of you know like halfway in the middle of the foot and then looking at the hairline just just below the hairline is generally there's going to be a little bit of variation in that because horses can sink into their hoof capsule and so their hairline can be different distances from the cor here right um but in general, I mean, I think in general, the, the hairline should be right about at the COR. So I'm just trying to give people like just a rough way mm -hmm. to like at least 
make a basic evaluation. You know, obviously having an x-ray is really a great thing to do and having sort of baseline x-rays so that you can track your horse over time. Um, but, you know, that seems like a simple thing. They could just kind of look at where the hairline is uh, uh, and just have a rough idea of what that is in relation to the length of the toe. You give them just a basic concept. And then, of course, the center surface, um, if it, if that right, right. And the other thing is, um, the angle of the hairline can tell you about the, the palmar angle. So the steeper the angle of the hairline, like if the angle of the hairline was projecting up like this, that would mean the back of the bone was lower. Okay. So, and uh, we've got like um, physical exam of the foot um, documents that we've done that. I got to get the COR put in there though, some sort of a measurement. We should, we should be able to do that. Destiny, come up with a COR on the live foot that's accurate. Um, Destiny and Paige Poss are looking at some cool measurements down the front of the bone, down right down through here okay. to approximate where the tip is. And so we should be able to use their measurement for approximating the tip from the hairline down and be able to figure that out, I think, pretty easily. That'd be great. Because we had um, as a guest last week, um, and her stuff is amazing, her imagery. Paige? Yeah, Paige Poss. Yeah, she is amazing. Um, so yeah, that's something that we can work on. That'd be cool to do. Um, but, but the angle of the hairline is something that's very well established to help you predict the, the solar margin. Now that's on, okay. the, on the both back and front foot, because I know on the back foot, if you look at that line projecting, like whether it's at the knee, above the knee, or below the knee. Mm -hmm. Leg. But on the front foot, is there a way to figure out where that line should be going? Yeah, well, I mean, just the angle of it. You sh it should be around 30 degrees, probably. Not st not 40, 40 or 45 to the yeah. ground plane. So you're going to want it to be under 30. Okay. Some people argue that. But um, once you get up around 40, 45 degrees, then you're going to be looking at this getting lower and lower. Right. So the steeper this hairline, we're just pretending this is the hairline right now, the yep. steeper the hairline angle would be, the lower this would be. Great. So this, horse, this horse's hairline angle was, this horse is so flat that it's just hard to even see where her hairline angle was. So that's heel, that's her heel hairline to her dorsal wall hairline. It was 28. She's not bad, really. She was deceiving. She'd be a little bit deceiving. That's, that's when she's sitting at plus three, though. Right. This is June. So she's starting to sit at a positive angle at this point, and it's 28. In April, should have been lower. I don't have that marked correctly. See, if you don't mark with barium, you can't do that. There's no barium here. If you don't mark a barium, you don't know where the hairline is. Got it. You can't use the x-ray. See, the only reason I can use this one is because I marked it with barium. Got it. Um, why I didn't get marked with barium, I do not know. Um, this one. Oh, it's like a day that we were running out of barium. Looks like we were mixing copper sulfate with something. But we didn't put it at the heel. This was April 22nd. I see that looks steeper. I don't know if it is or not. Let's see. Thirty-four. Yeah. So see, that's 
that to me when they're over 30. You're looking at a pretty low, low palmar angle. Right. And you can't, you can't really have a straight hoof pasture and axis till you have a positive palmar angle. I know there was a, I don't think, and, and I know there was a time when, when people were thinking that zero was okay, but I, I don't believe that, that zero is okay. You're never going to have a trade hoof pasture and axis like that. It's really hoof. helpful to be able to look at these radiographs because, you know, it's um, to get an idea of what you're looking at, what you're measuring, how that's relating to things um, from the inside. And, you know, and then these ideas of the, so just some simple things we can look at from the outside to have a, a, a general idea. Obviously, nothing's as good as having an x-ray with good marks, <laughs> good markers. Right. Um, I was going to hang on, get another horse up. Okay. We were, I think, able to change the, the heel angle. So, um, again, my friend, uh, Johanna Reimer, she has looked and found, she's found some measurements that we can use um, that she's publishing um, of how to measure for change, how to monitor the foot for change. Um, that, that has to do with the internal structure health of the back of the foot, which is a good thing. Um, so this is... So we did have one question. I, I don't know if this is really on topic, but... Um, Someone has asked, the farrier made a one-inch V-shaped cut on the front of uh, the toes because it had a crack. The mayor is sore. He's coming back out this week and wants to cut it again. What are your thoughts about cutting for uh, grooves for cracks? Groove above the crack? Uh, let's see. He, she did not specify. I don't do grooves above cracks. I don't think that that works very well in my hands, in my experience. Um, what we try to do is leverage reduction. Usually if a piece of hoof is cracked, it's because it's had excessive torque on it and it's been in strain, excess stress and strain, and so it's failed. So now that piece of foot is failed. And then that's made it predisposed generally to white line and, and bacteria and fungus getting in the layers of the hoof wall or the white line. So in general, what we try to do first is unload those areas, take ground reaction force away from them to relieve stress and strain on that particular section of the foot. And then if that doesn't, and then we may go in and try to clean up the bacteria and fungus that might be living in the layers of the wall. And then we've got to try to grow it off from right. top to bottom. And so the efficacy of what we're doing is going to be based on, does this crack keep migrating toward the hairline? Uh, hopefully not. And the worst possible thing we could see is that it grow that it migrates into our upper new growth that we've generated since we've been managing the condition. Yeah. The other thing is, is if it, you probably need an x-ray on some of those because they may have a lot of bone loss. And so you may be trying to patch a crack of the hoof wall over some abnormal bone and it may be very difficult to ever do. If there's a crena there, there's going to be a tendency for a crack to be there. Um, and if there's actual bone loss there, it's going to be hard to fix the crack also. Yeah, and in Foss's um, um, webinar, she showed us pictures of a, a hoof with a toe crack and then what was going on underneath that hoof wall. Underneath the crack, yeah, it's crazy how much pathology can be under that crack, right? Yeah, yeah um, it, yes. <laughs> so that's a great I'm webinar. I going to try to show you, let me get this little guy, I'm on, I was just fixing up. Um, so kind of some of the changes that, that we've seen 
and that we're looking for, I'm always marking heels to see that, um, to see, I should have to get that little angle to go to the right direction. It's wanting to go the wrong direction. I'm always marking heels with Miriam so that I can see a change in them over time. Do you see that, that the heels angle on this horse here from, um, yeah. this is September 5th, it's 23. And here it's 35 on uh, November 23rd. So wow. we're going to track that and make sure that those things are, are improving and not getting worse. And that's happening while we're decreasing this toe length, the relative toe length and increasing the COR uh, to ground. But the thing that um, my friend Johanna Reimer is figuring out is there's some measurements that would, that would be this measurement. It would be the height, the palmar soft tissue height. That's 27 millimeters. You can do this on a bare foot, just hairline to ground. Okay. And this one here, what's that number? That number is 18. So the palmar soft tissue height went from 18 to 27. Wow. So that's an indication of an improvement. That's, that's just basically your hairline to ground vertical height. Right. And you can do that by just putting a ruler behind the horse's foot and measuring that and monitoring that over time. There's so many of these horses that that height is, dang, it's like five millimeters. The, the hairline's on the ground. Um, so this is just some of the some of the things that we're, you know, looking for. Um, but but just to kind of the the gist of this is that toe length should be considered proportional to the length of the center spoke. And right. if the horse has, if, if you have a flat tire, the center spoke, the axle, the center spoke, you know, the COR is the axle, right? The COR is the axle of the wheel rolling forward. Yep. So if, whenever you have a flat tire, the axle gets closer to the ground. Right. And then the, the movement becomes rough. And so, I know the horse's foot's not round, um, but um, they sure try to take this thing and make it, you know, rounder. Right. So they try to create kind of their own uh, Mustang roll or breakover. And then they'll often wear completely through this at the front. And there's another whole concept. So if I put this on a horse and he's got a long toe like the mare I showed you originally, and she wears through the front, then that's her trying to fix her situation because we've established that she had this chalk block out there anyway, and she had extra material there compared to the back. So she's trying to fix her situation. So as owners, we shouldn't be upset about that. It, you got to have a whole different concept about your hoof rehab. If, if you're putting this thing on and she wears through it, Yay. that's not because it wasn't a good value. That's because she was fixing her foot. Right. And, and so what do we want to do? We want to, huh? That we're trying to set them up for success where they can establish that balance, but we can't impede that balance. And especially when we're looking at a shoeing cycle or a trimming cycle, there's got to be a way for the horse to be able to, to mold his foot the way he's trying to get. If that's and that, that requires movement. It requires comfortable movement. Right. So you got to get them comfortably moving and then let them move and let them wear their toe off. Right. And hopefully have some kind of surface that's going to be abrasive enough that they can do that. Because if you're on a soft right. all the time, they won't be able, they won't be able to. 
Right. Um, so we have one other question. She says, my mayor has glue on shoes, which uh, took almost an hour to remove. She's extremely sore, possibly abscess on medial front. Uh, what can be done to help her through this? Obviously, new gluons aren't an option. Um, that horse, if it has an active abscess and it's sore, I would get her in some really nice hoof boots. Soaking um, with one of the products, either clean tracks or white lightning, and um, put some so and then dry her foot off after I soaked her. Uh, Epsom salt's good too. Dry that foot really good, get it really clean. Put an athletic sock, a human athletic sock on her and put her in a, a boot, either a soft ride with a wrestling mat pad in it or a cloud boot, which are, you know, for the most sore footed horses, protection and softness. Well, and, and it seems, you know, like, I, I, it's gonna date me, but we never had anything like boots or glue-ons or anything when I started out. My farrier used to put Borium on my horse's shoes year round because I'd wear them off, literally. Yeah. In. And now, you know, we, I think, when we look at the, the amount of change and the amount of research and the amount of energy going into how we can help a horse have a good foot and, the, and, the, and all the different concepts, I really think that we're advancing forward. Yes, there are different ideas and different things, but every horse is different. So you have to have a large arsenal of tools to be able to find the one that's gonna really work for each individual horse. And that there's right, no right. one size fits all in any of this. No, ma'am, there's not. Yeah, for sure not. And so the more we can um, just learn, self-educate, and then ask questions and have a team. And this is one of the things that keeps coming up is it takes a team to make this work. We we need to have, you know, the, the farrier, the vet, the owner, the um, body worker, everybody on the same page, the nutritionist, everybody on the same page to optimize this horse's health so he can heal himself. Because ultimately, I think what we're trying to do is set this horse up to heal himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. We're trying to put the whole horse in a healing environment. Right. And then give it a chance. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Let mother nature not get in her way. You know, that's what you got to think. Like if this, if, if we can learn how to help the horse and stay out of mother nature's way, that's the thing, you know, and how yeah. do we stay out of her way? Um, probably not with a 12 by 12 stall. That's right. not natural. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but it's not, yeah, yeah. and you know, and it's possible for you, you know, like I go to Europe quite a bit and they don't have the landmass to turn horses out, but almost every stable I've been to has a walker. And so yeah. they put on walkers so that they are moving every single day. Right. right. So, and I know, um, I guess Nick Barker over in England, she has an interesting way of doing all these things and, and she just provides the footing my understanding is of her system is that rather than putting a hoof boot on and changing the hoof boot as the foot heals, she puts the horse on whatever surface he can manipulate currently and gets him moving. And then as he manipulates a more aggressive and aggressive surface, then his foot is changing because she's created all these different surfaces. Oh, wow. Uh, Who's and that? that's really cool. Uh, Nick Barker, she'd be good. Rockley. Some Rockley farm. She'd be cool for your webinar series. Yeah. I might watch that one for sure. What is it, Rockley? Uh, Rockley Farm. I'm just writing Rockley it. Farm. Rockley Farm. R O C K L E Y. I think she's written a book about it. 
Well, and that's the thing is there's a lot of great information, but there aren't a lot of places we can go to kind of find the information all in one, one place. It's all kind of scattered about. And the one thing uh, with the pandemic is that we've, it's driven us more and more into this, you know, um, internet communication. And so that's one of the things I'm really trying to do to provide with these webinars is, you know, exposing people to these different ideas so that they can find information to help their horses. So I'm right. going to contact her. She sounds like she'd be a really interesting guest. Very, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And I just, uh, we've kind of gone over time, which is just fine, but I just really want to thank you so much. I know that your schedule is really, really busy and um, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come and join me on this webinar. And I, I love your, your, uh, illustration of the wheel because that I think everybody can relate to having a flat tire on their car and how much effort it takes to get it over the flat spot because it's impacting yeah. the roll. <laughs> right. you know? And that's just really, really helpful. And it's just, it's these kinds of things. If we can keep, you know, like there's a lot of great technical information, but ultimately we have to kind of keep it simple and, and look at our horse and look at his foot and make some general assessments so that we can have the conversation with our healthcare workers and our farriers and our vets. Right, right. So I wanna thank you so much for joining. Hey. It's been really That's great. great. Yep. And thank you. Any other questions? Are we good? Oh, we can. <laughs> Um, thank you everybody for joining us this morning. Just remember that you can find all of the webinars on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. And if you're trying to register for another webinar, um, they're now all on the surefootequine.com website. Just go to the calendar, click on the date, you'll open into a link and you can join the webinars directly from the con calendar contact on my website on surefootequine.com. Um, this week we have some great guests. We have Bob Bowker coming back on Wednesday, um, we have um, Dennis Varhan tomorrow, and he's gonna help improve your eye. And that's one of the things I think is so important is that if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. So Dennis is gonna help us be able to see things more clearly, which um, Dr. Taylor here has done a great job with her drawing her lines on the x-rays and then that, telling us the angles, because the more you can see, the more you can help. So thank you so much, Dr. Taylor. I really appreciate it, and, um, and I, I just, really this has been fabulous to talk to you and finally meet you actually yeah it's nice to meet you yeah okay Thanks. and so take care Thanks. and have a great right. day okay bye-bye